Welcome back to the Better Man, Better Ball Player podcast. I'm your host, Trey Cobb. I want to thank you for joining us on our 113th episode of the podcast. We're get a chance to talk to Coach Greg Mamula from the University of Delaware. Coach Mams, from Udell, uh, it's his first year uh, with the Blue Hens. After coming from a stint at Florida Atlantic University, where he was the associate head coach and recruiting coordinator, during that time at FAU, they won three NCAA regional appearances, won two Conference USA titles. In 2019, he was the Conference USA Assistant Coach of the Year. Prior to FAU, he was assistant coach at University of Cincinnati. Prior to that, he was head coach at Westchester University Division II School in Pennsylvania, was the Coach of the Year there, took a team to the World Series, and had an incredible three-year stint at Westchester. Um, coming back to University of Delaware because he was an assistant there from 2002 to 2006 under Coach Jim Sherman. Um, really fortunate to talk to Coach Mams and talked a great deal um, about his ABCA upcoming ABCA topic which is about on-field BP, and um, it was a lot of fun, uh, but it was great to t- talk to him about um, the culture that he's trying to set in place and, and the, the leadership training that he's put in place at Delaware, and we touched base about that. So really appreciate those conversations and appreciate uh, the time that he put into it, just like I really appreciate the guys over Netting Pros for helping us spread our word and being our gracious sponsor. Netting Pros are improving programs one facility at a time. Netting professionals specialize in the design, fabrication, installation of netting for backstops, batting cages, dugouts, scoreboards, BP screens, and ball carts. They also design and install digital graphic wall padding, windscreen, turf, turf protectors, dugout benches, dugout cubbies, and more. Netting professionals continue to provide quality products and services to many recreation, high school, and college fields, facilities, and stadiums throughout the country. Contact them today, 844-620-2707, or info at nettingpros.com. Visit them online at www.nettingpros.com, or check out Netting Pros on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn for all the latest products and projects. Big thanks to Will Miner and the guys at Netting Pros, and thanks again to Coach Mams for taking some time. Enjoy it. Here he is, head coach, University of Delaware, Coach Greg Mamula. You know, it's first time division one head coach for me, Trey. So it was a lot, you know, jumping in this summer, you know, doing the recruiting, hiring assistants, you know, just getting, getting the schedule set for the fall. It feels like just now I've been able to finally, you know, catch my breath from Mm -hmm. all of it. It's been kind of a whirlwind, but it's been the kids, the players have been awesome. My assistants have been awesome the support staff at Delaware is amazing. So it's been as smooth as it can be. It's never smooth, right? You're drinking, right. But as smooth as it can be. (laughs) So like you mentioned like this, the difference in level, like what was the biggest difference? What's what's your biggest difference? You mean between Florida Atlantic and Delaware? Yeah. But they said your first, your first division one job. Okay. Well, yeah, I was a division two head coach at Westchester previously. And I guess the biggest difference, you know, that was 13 years ago. So a lot has changed, obviously, training college athletics. But the biggest difference has to be the now having full-time assistants. Mm. When I was at Westchester, I had a volunteer and a part-time that made a couple thousand bucks. So having two full-time assistants in the office and actually our volunteer is in there full-time as well. So really three guys working full-time. And then it's unbelievable the amount of support staff we have at Delaware, you know, two full-time nutritionists, two full-time psychologists, our own strength coach, academics, you know, the support staff is, is big time. So that's been the biggest difference for me is I guess learning how to work with manage, um, divide the work, you know, amongst the assistants, that sort of thing. I, you know, when you're a division two head coach, you're kind of doing it all right. Like mm-hmm. doing, I'm the strength coach. I'm doing the compliance. You're doing the field. You're doing the scheduling. You're doing the recruiting. You're doing it all. So I've had to learn, definitely have had to learn how to delegate. 
So like, yeah, like I'm just thinking like how you're able to like, you're then like having meetings that kind of hold that everybody kind of accountable to like the job that and the vision that you want for the program. Yeah, no, we, we met a lot before we got started, you know, with the recruiting, this is our plan. Let's put it in writing. This is who we want to be, who we want to recruit. And then the same, obviously with our program, this is how we want to run practice. This is how we want to do, you know, the lifting part of it. And, you know, it comes down now to a daily meeting. We meet around 10 o'clock every morning as a staff, just to make sure we're on the same page and updated with all the recruiting and player development and what we're going to do at practice. And, you know, so everybody's, everybody's together and moving in the same direction. Where did you like, where did you start? Like, where, like, when you think about those meetings, what you're doing, like you said, you know, all these things, like, where, where yeah. was it like I, we started? Well, it's got to start with recruiting, right? Recruiting never stops. You know, got the job around June 1st, right when the recruiting started to heat up. So, and we had, I was fortunate, typically this day and age, Trey, as you know, when you take over a program, usually it's over recruited, over rostered. And you're the one that's got to come in and kind of clean up the mess of your predecessor. I was fortunate. I walked in, we had roster spots. We had scholarship money available. We didn't have to get rid of players. So we could go out immediately and get some transfers to come in. And we think are going to make a big impact for us this spring with the program. So that was definitely the starting spot was getting the roster secured for Mm -hmm. this current school year. And And you talked about like getting the right people. Like, is it matter of then, like, hey, we like the kind of recruit that's one, that wants to be here? Like, is that what it was? Like, you kind of revolve that conversation around, like, here's who the guys that we want that was going to help us. No, you know what? I've kind of, I guess, evolved with the getting the guys that want to be at your school. I used to say that all the time, and I've moved mm-hmm. away from that. I think sometimes that can be a trap, actually, Trey, because you know, many times the guys you want maybe don't aren't thinking your level, they're thinking higher. And sometimes it takes convincing and selling and just good old fashioned recruiting of those kids. So I've moved away from that. Like that's, it helps, but that's not a must for me. In fact, I think a program like Delaware that's been around 500, you know, recently, but certainly has a much higher ceiling than that. Like most most of the kids we we need to win at the level we want to win at probably aren't overly interested at, in us until we can get them on campus and sell them on our vision. They really see our facilities and see where we're headed. Mm. So it's just hmm. so I was thinking just like just your your plan was then like let's just try to get them on campus, you know. Um, get people here so we can then like you said sell them on the vision and so they can see it um like you said i mean even just to seeing the support staff i mean like my goodness dude you know you have your own strength coach you know you're two nutritionists like just even the knowledge there yeah a lot of now we it's you know people were surprised i was surprised when i came back you know i had coached at delaware in the early 2000s right the athletic department has really transformed itself to being big time you know, so I was surprised when I came back and interviewed that everything that was happening facility wise, support staff wise, and the recruits are too, you know, when they walk in and see our weight room and training room and academic area and student athlete cafeteria, it's, it's an eye opener for them. Nobody's really expecting the University of Delaware to have the facilities that we have until they can see it with their own eyes. It's good, man. It's great. So now you got the guys, you got your roster set, you know, like, What's step two? Like, where do you go from? Where do you go from there? And as you're, like you said, you're kind of building from practices, and where yeah. do you go from there? Well, you know, when you say that, like, get the get the right guys in place, or the best guys we could get for this year, and then it's now about changing their expectations because the returning group they're used to being 500. Um, so now we have to change the expectations to that of a winning championship program. Trey, and that's not an easy thing to do, as I tell the guys, it's an up, it's going to be an uphill battle. You know, everything worthwhile is uphill. And this, this fall was certainly 
uphill this preseason this winter should be uphill the season should be uphill it should be a fight because we're trying to change you know again the expectations of the players that we're not going to be a 500 program anymore this is going to be a championship level program we've had to change the way we play um playing more aggressive more focused playing harder you know, more attention to detail, more competitive, you know, that's been kind of the focus of our fall. So that when you say the next step, that's what the next step was for us. Creating those expectations. Definitely. So essentially like, you know, here's the vision of what we're trying to do this year and kind of like the next three-year plan. Yeah. Well, I just, I feel like, you know, as human beings and athletes, we're typically going to resort to what we know and our comfort level our past history and we're trying to change that for these guys you know we're going to change that we are changing that every day yeah yep awesome uh so so now so now we've got guys in here we're trying to build those expectations so like what does it look like now you know i guess is it that comes down to the day-to-day right it comes down to like your daily i guess the schedule like what's um, you know, expectations of practice, expectations, of weight room grades, you know, the whole nine. Yeah. Yeah. Al- along with all that stuff and our guys have been great, very receptive. They've done everything we've asked this fall, you know, a big part of that. And I'm just a believer, Trey, doing this 23 years now that guys get tired. You know, it's a long, it's a long school year. It's a lot of baseball. It's a lot of work. And it's the teams when April, May roll around in college baseball. It's the programs where the guys who genuinely care about each other. When when that happens, when the guys care about each other, those are the teams to me that keep pushing through, you know, the tired body, the tired mind, and just want to see how far they can go. You know, can we win a championship? Let's do this for each other. Um, if you want to call that culture, that's that's culture. Most programs, I think, get to April, May, and the guys are tired and don't really want to fight through it, just kind of go through the motions to get to summer or summer baseball sort of thing. So that's kind of the step right now is the guys to genuinely care about each other and know each other. And we've spent, you know, a good amount of practice. The last 10, 15 minutes of every day, we try to spend with the guys getting to know each other just, again, so there's a higher care factor for one another and a genuine, you know, genuine like for each other. You might take it. You might take like, like taking me through that. Cause like, uh, like the last 10 minutes, is it something like a hot seat kind of thing? Like that was soon as like the hot seat where you kind of talk about it, or is it like, you know, your homework, giving homework for somebody like, can you run us through a little bit? Of like, well, how, what do you find is the best way for kids to get to know each other? Yeah. So we have two parts when we're on the field each day, uh, we'll do a hero hardship highlight. Yes. Where, um, you know, I stole that from Jeremy Sheetinger, who I'm sure stole it from somebody else as we usually do in the profession, Trey. But, you know, we'll have two guys typically at the end of the practice get up and it's been, it's been awesome. You know, guys make themselves vulnerable and open themselves up like that. You know, just, it just brings on another level. I think of, again, care about one another when you start to, you know, many of these guys have known each other two, three, four years, live with each other, and guys will say stuff in the hero hardship highlight that they didn't even know about that guy, you know, so you get to know somebody deeper. So that's part of it. And then we also, we're not having captains. Uh, we're going to do, we are doing leadership training. So at the end of each practice, we'll have one or two guys um, based from John Maxwell's book, The 21 Laws of Leadership. I'm missing a word I, out of that title. I can't remember. Um, but a guy will, each guy knew, has known in advance what law of leadership they're going to teach that day. And they'll stand up and teach it to the group. And that's great. But what matters most is, Trey, can they apply it to us as a baseball team, to them as a baseball player, how it's going to help them and help us in leadership. And the guys have been awesome, you know, with that stuff. So it's just, that's the last 10, 15 minutes every day. And then the other part of it is after every time in the weight room, um, one of the players breaks it down and, you know, like a lot of good programs, we tell them, Hey, pick out somebody or something in particular, call out some teammates, something you saw good today, a positive catch somebody doing something well and call them out in front of each other. So that's been, that's been the team building 
the care building, if you want to call it that, that we've implemented, Trey. I love, I love that. You call out, you praise what you want. Um, absolutely. And then, so again, calling out the, at the last 10 minutes in the, in the weight room, after you break it down, calling those guys out, um, are they looking for specific things? Like, is it the 21 laws that they're kind of looking for that you're saying, I mean, I really like how you did this, or is it just kind of, or they have other specific things that are looking for when they call them out? Depends on the individual. Um, yeah. You know, you get some guys that want to stand up there and talk and go on and, you know, <laughs> their teammates enjoy it. And other guys, you know, they don't like the spotlight on them and they just try to get it over with. So it's, you get a wide variety. If they can tie it in with the 21 laws, man, that's awesome. That's right. happened a couple of times. Um, probably not as much as they could, but it's all, you know, it's all good. Everything, you know, it's a, it's again, it's a positive and, who doesn't, everybody likes to be praised, especially in front of their teammates for something they did special that day. For sure. No, that's, that's super cool. That's super cool. I, um, I love, it, especially at the last 10 minutes, I think you hear a lot of our guys at the end, uh, but being able to take the time at the end of the practice to like, almost like finishing on a high note, you know, all the time you're really, you're really kind of doing that too. So that's a nice, nice way of ending it for sure. Oh, <clears throat> 21 laws of leadership that's a great book talking right off the right from the get-go just get them <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so uh, here's a question so like do you do you foresee like you know each person's going 21 laws and so when all the laws are done do you foresee something else or what do you kind of see that going once the 21 laws and well, you we just finished number 21 on sunday trey so i'm open for suggestions if we got to keep it going when we get back together in the, uh, in January. So I'm open to ideas. If you have any for me, like we got to keep, got to keep it going. You know, like I, it's yeah. the leadership part is that important to me, not just for our team, you know, it's important obviously in the team setting, but again, we're all leaders. These guys are going to be even more so, you know, moving on in their life, the leader of a family, the leader of a household, the leader of a business, you know, so it's it's important stuff that's going to carry over hopefully for for life. Oh yeah, no, I, I love it. I to totally agree. So like when you talk about leadership training, is that the only? When I say only, but it's like every day, which is not only. Uh, that's the leadership training. So the the part at the end, right? So like that's always part of every day. You're every, every day you're together. Yes, correct. Yeah, and yeah. again, it's only as effective as the guys make it, but it's only as effective also Trey as we continue it going and go back to it and go back to the laws of leadership, you know, is if the coaches put emphasis on it, the players typically do as well. As you know, if we never mention it, it probably is going to die. So we've got to, we've got to keep it going. And it's, again, it's a constant, it will be a constant in, in the program here at Delaware. Yeah. No, I mean, it's almost like you could even talk about, Again, the application of it now, second time through, we kind of know the law. So now like you just maybe focus on the application or like what they have seen and maybe what they, what's good and what's not good, you know, like here's an example of it here. wasn't an example of it. Um, you know, like those kind of things, the application of it just to continue. Cause they, they already kind of know it now. They know the leadership of it. No, I super good book though, too. It's a, it's a heavy one too. <laughs> I I'm of the opinion, um, Trey, that, you know, when, and it's the reason we haven't, or we're not having captains now is I think most guys are used to in a baseball setting and athletic setting. Okay. This guy, these two, these three guys are the leaders. They're the captains and nobody else feels like they have any responsibility there. And what we're trying to get them to understand is we are all leaders. You know, we can mm -hmm. lead in different ways and um, that everybody has is accountable for that you're not off the hook because you're not a captain you know in essence we have 35 captains on our team absolutely now there's a great book um and i haven't got to read it but i have to um it talks about those and the different types of captains and um just different kind of leaders um where... it's such a good book um uh, purchase great things about it captain's class but uh, no, I I couldn't agree more. Like I I truly like, and a lot of times even the worst too about the captains is like 
just because they're the best players, they're the captains. Really just that's not even – there's such a big misconception of what captains are. Yeah. The other thing I'll add to Trey with it is – it's important to me. It's important to us as a staff that the players feel like this is their team. Again, this goes into, you know, the care part and the end of the season part where this isn't us standing up in front of them constantly. Like we want them in front of each other as much as possible. Again, all great programs strive to be player led. And this is just another step in that direction. That's right. Yeah. Uh, just taking more ownership, 100%, you know, get, taking ownership of their careers, you know, ownership of all those things. Yeah, taking ownership of, like, the team. You're going to be more prideful, you know. Absolutely. When when did, when did this kind of, like like you said, like it's part of what we do every day. It's something that will always be, like, um, you know, this started at Westchester. It was something that – was it FAU? Like, where was this part of your process? Where did this kind of change? Or has this always just kind of been what you do? All right. Well, ironically, we're doing a podcast right now. And this idea, I'm a podcast guy. I'm not a good reader. So I'm way more auditory. You know, you say your elementary ed background. I'm my undergrad degrees elementary ed also, Trey. So there you go. Definitely way more of an auditory learner. So my car ride to and from work when I'm recruiting is constantly podcast. I find myself gravitating to leadership, um, coaching type of podcasts i've listened to some of yours in fact you know i'm a podcast guy but every team i've ever been a part of i was a captain in college my senior year and every team i've coached the 22 years i've coached there's been captains and i was listening to a podcast probably about a year ago from todd interdonato head baseball coach at wofford and i stole this very idea for him and his thought process Um, And I'm paraphrasing and I'm probably going to get this wrong. So if you listen, Todd, I apologize. But is he felt like naming guys captains put undue pressure on those guys. And his I remember him saying something to the effect of I want my catcher out there focused on calling the right game, receiving, blocking, throwing, getting hits, not on worrying about the other 34 guys in the team that he's supposed to be in charge of. And. From that, I actually went back and started to look at schools I was at statistically and started to look at the captains. And many guys had better seasons the year before they were captains and their numbers went down. As I'm like, he's probably there's probably something there. You're hurting these many of these guys by making them captains. They feel more pressure that they've got to do more now instead of just being themselves as a player. And then he also talked about doing the leadership training and it really stuck with me and I thought you know what if I ever get to be a head coach again that's what I'm going to do right there I, I like this and you know now that I'm a few months into it I don't I don't see myself doing it any different that's awesome no well, that's super cool it'd be great to have to have coach on too we'll have to do, maybe hook that up and maybe see if he come on talk about that as well <laughs> no, he's, get him on he's great uh, I don't yeah. know him well at all but I've listened to him on podcasts and I've read some of his stuff. He's, he's outstanding. Yeah. That'd be great. Always willing to talk some good baseball, man. Um, now that's it. And this is, that's exactly, you know, and that's why I'm glad we were able to connect. And that's what our big reason for the podcast and really why it's, it is what it is. Uh, it's the mission. It's, it's what um, I love to hear. I love, just love to hear that and, and how that's, it is. It's, it's like, they're going to be more, I mean, leaders off the field a lot longer than they are on the field, you know, as a, as another perspective, another thing that we, I try to, I love to hear. And I, and I so believe as well. Um, and, uh, but man, that's, uh, that's super cool. That's super cool. Um, <clears throat> the things that we do man, awesome, pretty awesome. Um, yeah, go on. I, I would love, I would, <laughs> Just thinking more like, have you thought like, what would it look like um, come springtime? You know, is it something that you will do after a game, before a game? It'll be a weekly thing or I'm just uh, just kind of wondering what your thoughts are there come springtime when you start playing. Yeah, I, I'm going to go with with the feel on that um, right now. 
my first thought is I don't want to talk to the guys after the game. You know, I've never been a big fan of the the coach getting the team together and telling them what they did well, what they did wrong. You know, to me, I'm gonna I'm gonna take notes during the game. I'm gonna sleep on it, think through it, and I know from past experience, probably two thirds of what I wrote down or what I would have said after the game. I'm going to be like, you know what? It's not even important. Why bring it up? It's not going to make a difference, good or bad. Let's bring up these points. So I've already told the guys, like, I don't, I want them to to process the game themselves and to evaluate what they did as well as a team, as an individual, what we can improve on. And then we'll meet the next day and talk about it. So I don't, I don't foresee us doing the leadership training or any of that stuff after a game. Let's get together, break it down, you know, clean up the dugout, break it down and head on our way and then do it the next day. But I certainly see us doing this, you know, continuing the leadership stuff after practice um, come springtime. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it just, cause you know, like when the results start getting there and, you know, the games are, you know, just how this, how the season can get, you know, I, I've always found like when we were doing, we did find like a leadership council once a week. Um, yeah, it just gave guys that like it kind of created this space to talk about those things, you know, and, and gave us a chance to reflect and set goals and um, just touch base. Um, yeah. During the spring, it just gets tough when you're throwing in those games and stuff like that. Um, but yeah. And I love the, I love the philosophy there of just like letting them. Yeah. Cause I mean, most everybody knows, everybody knows typically why we lost or, you know, this guy just bailed in the mound and he's, he's great. He had a great day. Great. You know, and we won. Um, so it is good to kind of get out of there, get guys maybe some work after the game and they need to recover or you know, whatever for sure. Um, no, nah, so, so super, it's just, it's just great. Cause I just, I love, I think it's such a valuable piece, especially I think in your area, like we're in your situation where you're trying to come in right away, set a tone set the culture up, you know, and just kind of, you know, you're just like, and you're, you're, you're getting, you're killing it from the, from the start. There's something that you feel like you like now that you know what you do, like you'll, you, you'll never do it anywhere different. <laughs> well, hopefully, you know, it evolves. And well, sure. sure. You know, I'm a rookie division one coach, Trey. I'm sure I'll improve and get better and consider myself hopefully a lifelong learner. So hopefully it evolves, but, Again, I I foresee myself going with the leadership training over the captain thing. And that's not – obviously, there's great captains. There's great programs that have captains. There's – that's not – this isn't the only way. This is just the way I've chosen and the way I see it going in. Yeah, in the way that you believe, for sure. Yeah. You know, and I think that's one thing that's really cool is like that just – when you believe – you're like living it, you know, like and, – and it's just it's part of what you've, you've chosen to be and – you know, you're again. You're this is their identity of the uh, University of Delaware baseball team. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Just thinking in terms of like the, again that season and kind of preparing for the season and kind of what you're doing is like, um, you know, in, in terms of like the levels. And again, you were just at FAU and and thinking of uh, just your preparation uh, to that. Uh, what do you enjoy most? Uh, and it gets past the leadership and let's get past then like the, the, the specific training and development of your players. Yeah, definitely. When you say that for me, love being on the field, uh, hitting is my passion. Uh, you know, so BP and anybody that knows me or has played in a program I've been associated with is laughing at this part. Cause I love on field BP. Like that's my favorite 45, 50 minutes of the day as I tell our guys, like nobody's going to hit on the field as much as we do. And that's, that's my, that's my sweet spot. That's my favorite 50 minutes of the day right there is, is the on-field BP, BP part. So like you must have some like go-to like on-field BP routines or like, you know, what you care to do. Like, so here's a question. Like how do you make on-field BP game-like? Like, what do you do to make it game like on the field? Sure. Well, actually, Trey, I'm fortunate I get to speak at the ABCA convention in January. And this is my exact topic nice. right here. 
Let's do this. I'm going to be there too. So I'll be there. That'd be great. I can't, I can't tell all my stuff, right? I got to say, uh, sure. we'll be good. This is like, January. this is like a, this is like a rehearsal then, you know, like you just kind of get feel, <laughs> feel it out. We can throw it out there. This is Guys, my BP for the game. Then, right? That's right. Um, this is your on field BP right here. <laughs> so I, for the most part, our rotation is going to be one day it's coach BP. The next day it's machine. And we usually, you know, if we hit six, six days a week, it's probably going to be three coach, three machine. We have machine days where it's just fastball. We have machine days where it's fastball and breaking ball. And I'm talking on the field now, double machine. Um, we have just about every day when we go coach, there's going to be rounds where they don't know what's coming. You know, it's we'll do every once in a while, feel good BP, just laying fastballs in, in there and let them launch baseballs. But it's going to be scripted out like the five, six rounds of BP. It's going to be, scripted out for them they're going to know what the goal is each round they get i'm not going to use the word repetitive but i would hope that we're recycling the good ones and they're when they see the round on the sheet it's posted right on the turtle it's posted in the dugout it's posted in the locker room um when they see the sheet like they know what the goal is that i've hopefully have coached that particular round and what the goal all we're trying to accomplish with that round is if that makes sense sure yep so like just I guess it's just like a checker checker minus, or could it also be like a grade of like X of velocity, or like I drove this ball or hit this ball over? Well, two parts to that. We we chart all of our on-field BP. We have a manager standing right there with a clipboard, and we simplify it as much as hard hit or not. Okay, that's it. And we grade it, and at the end of each day, we'll send it out. We'll rank the players. We had 16 hitters this fall. We'll rank one through 16 hard hit percentage. For the day, we'll do the week, and then we just did the whole semester, the whole fall, and just sent that out to the guys. But, you know, like the first typical round for me, I like guys to get on top and hit low line drives right back through the middle. So, mm -hmm. you know, to answer your question specifically, Trey, that would be like the goal. And the guys know if they see through the middle, it's first round, we're going to get on top, get up, get through the baseball, try to, try to knock over the L screen. Okay. Okay. Oh man, it's super cool. Um, how so? So it's very offensive driven. So from the hitter standpoint, um, do you mix in any base running or defense during your on field BP? Yeah, always. I say always. The vast majority of the time, there's four rotations, usually four guys in a group. So you have okay. the on field BP group. Mm -hmm. You have the defensive group. Mm -hmm. Outfielders playing with balls live off the bat. The infielders. Um, are typically doing some sort of fungo. It might be just fungos, throw it in. It might be fungos, get one. It might be feeds and turns, mm -hmm. double plays. There's going to be a group in the cage. Uh, we're going to have two cages, two guys in each cage, and there's going to be two specific drills that, again, that they're going to know the goal and the purpose of those drills. Mm -hmm. And then there's going to be a base running station where, Typically, we do three rounds of base running, and it's based off of round one of the hitter's BP. We're usually at first doing this, round two, we're at second doing this, round three, we're at third doing this. And that would be like, I'm not a yeller, Trey, but when the guys get yelled at, it's usually they mess up in the base running drill. <laughs> like, that <laughs> is, again, you hear it all the time, and I hate to be this guy, but most of the players we get, coming in as freshmen are not good base runners. I put yep. them in the bad base runner category. And I'm of the belief that you can improve it. And most guys, if they focus on it during BP, because we do it every day, become good base runners, you know, like learning to freeze on the line, um, learning not to run second to third on the comeback or the pitcher, learning to put the ball behind you at second, when to go halfway, when to tag at second base all that stuff. So the base running is, is a big part of it. And um, most guys, when they come into the program that they, they think base running, they just go to the base. When the guy hits the ball, they run to the next one. Like it's, it's way more than that. And they learn, you know? Yeah. And it's, it, it comes from like, too cold. I mean, if they're coming from a good program that does teach it, they know the expectations of it. You know, it's just like, cause they like in practice, like they're just jogging around and, you know, like there's a part of like, I know that you're trying to make it life where like, if it's a line drive, they are freezing or getting back to the base. And some guys just like, they're just not taking that as seriously where like at your level, 
you got to make sure that you're like, you're practicing it the way that you're going to, you know, and you're going to putting it as serious as you are, you know, it's almost like the maturity factor too. Well, my, my thing they hear me say all the time is if you're going to spaz out base running and BP, we got no chance during a game. You know, mm. If you can't control yourself and freeze on the line and BP, how in the world are you going to do it when, you know, you're playing in a real baseball game and the adrenaline's going? Who shot? Awesome. Um, what do you do? You chart anything? So, is all the charting is just offensive? Is there any defensive charting? Um, yeah, any, anything, anything on defensive chart you charting? Not with our own guys. Um, you know, to me, that's eyeball stuff, right? Like you yep. can, you you can see that, you know, from the eyeball. Uh, specifically during BP, any defensive work. I'm a practice at the speed you're going to play type guy. Um, can't stand guys taking fungos flat-footed, not gaining ground, not working through the baseball. Um, we're always in the outfield and infield when we're playing balls off the bat. We're always going to do pre-pitch reads. We're not mm. going to stand straight up. That's another teaching point, specifically when most high school guys are coming in. They're just used to standing there, and then yeah. they think they're they think their job is to go practice catching the fly ball. Like, no, your job. We're working on the first step, the angle, the read. That's what we're trying to get better with. We know you can catch the fly ball in the outfield or take the right angle in the infield. Mm-hmm. That's cool. That's a that's a great point. That's a great point. We're really just trying to work on your first step pre-pitch. We know you can catch the ball. Uh, that's uh, that's really good. It's really good. And you say you typically play them in? You said you typically play your outfit in, is that what you said, during BP? No, I was going to say, maybe you're reading my mind, Trey. I was going to say, like, <laughs> A lot of times with guys' deficiencies, you know, so the outfielder, we have a freshman right now that has not been great with the ball over his head. Yeah. So he knows he's going to play 15 feet shallower in BP than what he played a game just to try to get as many balls. More reps over his head. Ball over his head, yeah. Um, most guys, we want them to play at the same exact depth they're going to play during the game, but there's some exceptions to that. Sure. But I love – so speaking of that, so like the individualization uh, within your, like, BP and setting and things like that, do you have rounds in there for, like, you know, the little slap guy that you have and then, like, your big four, five, six that they are not going to bunt? Right. Now, that, to me, like, that's my job as the hitting coaches and as the head coaches, guys to know who they are, what their strengths is, strengths are, and how we're going to use them this spring, you know, so they can practice again, we want them to practice who they're going to be in the spring. So the guy that can't hit the ball over the outfielder's head, he is obviously trying to hit as many low line drives as he can. And I'm a little different with our guys that have power, which we've got a pretty good number of guys at Delaware that have power. Like I went, I want them to hit home runs. I want them to hit doubles in batting practice. I want them to practice and be able to get to that swing consistently so yeah like that's but as far as you mentioned the budding part like everybody's gonna bunt in our program in practice because i have to learn who can actually bunt come game time we're not gonna bunt much sacrifice wise but i need to figure out who can and who can't so we do a lot of we bunt every day off the machine when we hit off the machine and we'll do a lot of what i call total rounds so it might be six total and you're leading off with a sack bunt with a man on second. And if you get it down in one try, well, you get five swings, Trey. If it takes you three tries to get the bunt down, well, you only get three swings. So bad bunters coming into our program figure out really quick how to be good bunters because they start losing a lot of swings <laughs> in our, the way our BP is set up. And then we finish a lot of our rounds off the machine with a bunt hit, you know, with shifting still allowed in college baseball and, um, you know, everybody now having synergy in college baseball and knowing who bunts and who doesn't and watching it on video, like you need to get down some bunt hits early in the season. So people don't shift against you or the third baseman has to play up against you as well. So I want all of our guys to have the ability to bunt for a hit. That's a great point. I think it's a super solid point, you know, and uh, just being able to get the bunt down so that we don't shift, you know, and then be able to still be able to keep them honest, you know, which would then essentially give you, more chance of being successful in the long run. It's an awesome point. 
Awesome point. So I was just even just thinking like, um, I guess, I guess the individualization within each of the rounds is like, okay, when I'm looking for like the backside or like, I'm looking like trying to go oppo, like low liners, my big guy, my four, five, six, you know, those, those guys that you say you want to fill that swing. Like your swing is not that low line. Your swing is I want you to, to, to challenge the fence. Is that the, is that the individual is the, the, based on the hitter? Yes. And I would hope, and I feel strongly about this. If you would, pull aside any of our hitters at Delaware and say, hey, what's Coach Mams want you to do during BP? They should very specifically be able to tell you. And the power hitters should be able to tell you, when I get a ball down the middle, he wants me to hit it here. When I get it inner third, he wants me to hit it here. When it's outer third, he wants me to hit it here. Like that's, I break the plate into thirds and the guys know what they should be doing in BP and drill work with the ball in those thirds. And that's what we do in training and BP is training. And then come game time, um, you know, I'm a big believer. We don't rise to the occasion. We fall back to our training. So come game time, if we've trained appropriately, we shouldn't have to think about where to hit the baseball. It should just be all see ball, hit ball, be aggressive type of mindset. Try, you know, one positive thought mindset because that's how we've practiced. But to answer your question, yeah, our guys know like what, what their goals are with, with the ball, depending on the third. And, you know, with everybody has a less than two strike approach and everybody has a two strike approach and those all vary, you know, by the hitter as well. Yeah. So like what, and then, so yeah, I I love how like even like a two strike approach is, is different. So like, um, can you dive in a little about two strike approach? Cause there's definitely so many different philosophies out there and just kind of how guys teach it. Um, you know, is it like, again, based off the biggest guy, is it, are you allowing certain guys to ju- to strike out more? Do you see that someone in the game? And then other guys who don't have that skill set, they need to make sure that they're doing everything they can to not strike out? Right. I don't – I try to avoid talking about striking out, not striking out. Oh, good. I think our job as hitting coaches, Trey, is to take away fears from the hitter. And I think when guys are trying not to strike out, you're instilling fear. and That's not how we want to play with our guys in our program. So as I tell our guys, every swing is going to be aggressive, but guys are going to do different things physically. Some guys are going to box adjust, get closer to the plate, maybe move up in the box with two strikes. Some guys maybe get a little bit wider. Some guys shorten their leg kick. Some guys choke up. Some guys start with their hands in a different position. Um, But inevitably, we still want an aggressive swing. We've got to back the baseball up. We're going to play deeper in the zone with our contact with two strikes than we are with less than two strikes sort of thing. But in the end, like, as I tell them, we still want to hit doubles. We still want to hit home runs with two strikes because half of our results, half of that bats in college baseball roughly get to a two strike count. So we still have to be able to put up production and numbers with two strikes on us. It's not, it's not for me in college baseball with our hitters and our program, just put it in play. Absolutely. No, I know that's not the popular thing to say right now on social media, but I just, you know, the just put it in play in college baseball typically doesn't add up to a lot of scoring. And obviously I'm not promoting striking out because, you know, we are two strike adjusting. We're not going to just keep going up there and flailing the pitches like we might with less than two strikes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think even when you when you you're just put in play again, you're you're going against that aggressive mindset too. You know what I mean? Like you're going yeah. aggressive. You know, you know, like you, you said, you're you're starting that, and I love that where you say like we're just we don't talk about striking out. You know, we talk about you know, again, that's all the, you know, this the the the, the power of language. You know, and like you said, I think a lot of guys talk about not striking out, not striking out, not striking out, and then you know striking out because that's all we're thinking about. Instead of, like you said, making adjustment, two-track adjustments, two-track adjustments. That's a great way to think about it. Yeah, to me, the difference for me, the mindset difference, Trey, is I want them to fear not getting off aggressive swings, not hitting balls hard. I don't want them to fear striking out. Mm-hmm. Fear not getting off aggressive swings. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Love that. 
love that. Yeah, especially just just love that com- the competitiveness and like because you see that a lot, like with guys like you know, or, or, or that's what they should. They definitely should fear not being able to get that off because you see guys like maybe taking a pitch or taking a pitch they shouldn't have. You know, like if they were of the mindset, I can't leave this at bat without getting my swing off being an aggressive having an aggressive swing it would eliminate that yeah give more opportunity i guess you can say more success to to get it off super cool that's great two-strike approach Mm-mm-mm. yes sir um really like that and you said like and you and you said um each player through the training and through the conversations you've had with them kind of know who they are and if they're uh like I said, box adjustment, hands adjustments, things like that. Yes. And much of that has been dictated by them. Sure. Um, I am a definite, probably to a fault, definitely to a fault when guys first get on campus, letting them go and learning them, learning their swing, learning their approach sort of thing before I start to, you know what, we got to make this change. We got to make this adjustment. So I'd rather them show me what has worked or what they think has worked for them with two strikes. And if, if it is, then my job as a hitting coach is to keep my mouth shut. If it's not, then my job is to work with them, to give them something that's going to allow them to have more success with two strikes. Yeah. And that's essentially what you recruit them for. Yeah. You know, in essence, you know, I know they're not going to have near as much failure as what they are with you, but essentially there was a skill set that they have that, and that's the reason that they were there. Correct. Yeah. It's awesome. It's awesome. Um, what else did I talk about? We're talking about two strike approach. I forget what we had mentioned um, before that breaking the plate in the thirds. That was a cool thing you had to mention. Um, you know, some guys break it up into fists. I see numbers on the plate. Like, do you work on like ball striking in the thirds? I, I talk more so again about what we would like to have happen with the ball on the thirds. And the, the thing I find myself um, coaching the most is actually the middle third. Oh yeah. Right, believe it or not, because, and I'm, I'm a big believer of this, like for little league high school and big leagues, the ball, in the middle third of the plate should be hit to the middle of the field. But the college guy, most of the guys we have, when they hit a ball good, it goes 360 to 380. And 360 to 380 in college baseball to the middle of the field is usually an out. 360 to 380 when pulled is usually a home run. Right. So to me, most of our guys that have power, that 360 to 380 power, we're trying to get them to pull the baseball in the air, the one middle third. And that is new. For most of them, it's sure. completely different than how they've been coached, and rightfully so. Like you wouldn't teach a little league kid, a 15, 16 year old without power to pull the ball down the middle, hit it through the middle, right? That's the biggest hold. It's the easiest hit is the middle of the field. So that's that's the third I find myself coaching the most. Second most would certainly be the inner third. Uh, most high school guys have an inside out swing that we get. So that's the swing path, the swing change of staying tight, learning how to get the inner third pitch in the air pull side is a big coaching point um, for me as well. Most guys coming in are really good already with the ball on the outer third. Like that's the one that I find myself having to coach the least. That's the one that guys have seemed, you know, to have practiced by far the most coming into our programs. They're just wearing it out. Yeah, wearing out the outside corner. Because also, I was also going to ask you, especially with like your bigger, you know, your bigger kids, you know, your kids that really have some pop, like, because that's what it kind of sounds like. Are there kids that even on the outer third? Because you see it in the big league level, you see it guys in the professional hitters, like they the, the, they wouldn't have the shift that they didn't that they didn't continually try to pull the ball, right? So, like, are you? It's what it sounds like is that you are teaching more kids to pull the ball and pull the ball more often. Oh yeah. And that's, you know, I know that's a separator from me from most hitting guys is I want the ball down the middle, the middle third of the plate pulled for most of our guys, not all of them for most, but the ball outer third to me should go either oppo or middle. Uh I know there's some freaks out there. There's a lot in the big league that can hit that ball in the gap out of the park full side, but that's not, 
I don't, I haven't coached many of those guys for me. Sure. Well, should go the other way or through the middle at worst. Sure. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I, I agree. I just, I just t- wondering your case. I was just curious. Um, your take on that was, you know, uh, especially like we said, if you're hitting a 360, 380, like the bonnie's that bonnie's <laughs> that bonnie's pulled. Um, but, um, yeah, that's interesting. I, I, cause I have found, and, I, and I'm, I'm more of impression. It's funny you say that, cause like the more and more I, like, I find guys who are more advanced hitters, um, at every, like, they're one, they're able to really turn on a ball and keep it fair, like, really, like. At 90 on the hands, like you're able to get on it, get through it, and just be able to keep it fair. Not like people, they just, they, they're, they're on it, or they might be too early and they hook it foul. I just find like I, a good direction to be able to really keep it fair, keep it fair and tight on the inner half. Like that guy's pretty good. Yeah. Well, that's, that's the fear. I feel like most people are afraid to talk about and teach the pull. Yeah. They're afraid of front side leaving afraid of not being able to hit off-speed pitches, afraid of hooking baseballs. But, you know, we work and talk so much about hitting baseballs straight, you know, like that's all the swing path to me. And okay. about the importance of staying closed and not cheating to do it. And obviously, if we start to see it, one of our hitters is starting to cheat to pull, then we've got to go back and change him to make sure he's staying closed and he's thinking middle to oppo at that point. Is that what you basically do? Like you said, you like you said, you, you basically change him to think middle oppo just to kind of slow him down. And so it's really more like the the thought. Well, the the example I used with the guy that's flying open, we're gonna think yeah. middle oppo to keep him closed. You know, we know guys can't have success coming open early, right? Like the yep. we've got to stay in rhythm, the kinetic chain has to work. And when it ever it's not working, when guys are front side leaving early, then to me the the hopeful quick fix is to change the target, you know, the target shoot center field, right center or opposite field, you know, for the guy. What's the best kind of drill work do you find out to like for guys to help them with direction with let's just, let's just start with direction and then maybe like direction to be able to pull the ball. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a target shooter, you know, so we're going to pick out targets on the fence or behind the fence or on the field. And we're going to, you know, that's going to be the external cue that we're just going to try to get guys to um, believer and external cueing tray where most athletes, when you give them a target to try to hit and the goal to try to do with the baseball, usually they can organize their body to do it. Um, if they can't, now it's probably time to break it down a little bit more with some other um, non-traditional drills, I guess, instead of just tr- doing it traditionally with BP. But I, most of my, like when I'm doing early work and trying to maybe make some swing or adjustment changes with guys, like it's usually we're going to warm up off the tee. We're going to do a few flips and the vast majority of it is going to be a coach thrown overhand or a machine. And we're going to target shoot and try to accomplish our goal with, with the baseball. And again, I like to do it on the field because I want them to see the trajectory of the baseball. Are we hitting it straight? Are we hitting it with backspin? Are we getting in the air pull side? All that stuff. I like that. All right. I mean, I guess the the challenge. So, like, what kind of challenges do you face trying to have them hit on the field all the time? <laughs> well, it can't be it can't be the same BP over and over. Like, there's got to be variety. Um, again, like the energy has to be provided from the coaches and the players both, right? Like, it, at what point you start to see like lack of and I hate to use the word energy, it's overused now, but when you start to recognize, all right, this is becoming going through the motions. Well, any good coach is going to back off and we're going to do something different, right? We got to keep the focus and we got to keep continuing to get better. And if we're just going through the motions, we're certainly not getting better. So it's about that, but you know, like the music going, the competition of it being charted, Mm. the guys understand the importance of BP in our program and BP is usually hard in our program. We're making it or trying to make it harder than the game to make the game easier. So it's it's really hard for our guys to get, I think, overly comfortable with what we do during BP. And, and that's a, and that's a newer com. You know, like I said, you've been doing it twenty three years. Um, has BP always been hard for you? 
Like if you absolutely always made it. Not. Absolutely not. Like biggest regret for me. And I think it'll probably a lot of guys in my era of coaching is BP was always super easy, right? Like it was almost always just laying fastballs in and, you know, whatever your approach was having the guys hit to that approach. And in fact, I can remember first getting a hack attack. I was a hitting coach at the university of Cincinnati, Trey getting a hack attack. I was out recruiting in Arizona and you know, the games are in the afternoon and evening. And during the day I was walking around watching spring training and it's really convenient in Arizona. Like they're all really close. It's not like Florida where they're spread out all over the complexes. Like I could go watch two, three, four teams a day, just walk around and I'm watching them do everything. Defense, catchers receiving, hitting off of hack attacks. I'd never seen a hack attack. Uh-huh. I got back to Cincinnati and told my bro- boss, Brian Cleary, like, we got to order a hack attack. And we did. And we set that bad boy up on the mound. And the guys are getting the bats blown out of their hand. And they're complaining. They hated it. And one of my biggest regrets is I gave in to them. Yep. And we would only use it then in the cage in a more comfortable setting instead of on the field. And I'm like, I did them such a disservice. Like if I would have made them fight through it and figure out how to have success against the hack attack on the field, we would have been a better offensive team without question. I know that now. And I think everybody's had that moment. It probably came too late or later for me than it should have. Um, so no, like I would tell you probably not last seven, eight years is when I've really started to buy in and have not given in to the players that, BP is not going to be easy. Occasionally it will be. We'll have feel good Friday here and there late in, but the vast majority of the time we're going to make this hard and you're going to get good at doing it. And you're going to be better in the games as a result. Yeah. Like, you know, you're going to get better. Like even the stamp of like being able to keep yourself being comfortable, being uncomfortable, you know, that whole process, you know, most guys just, that's what it is. Like they're, they're upset because they're uncomfortable. Like, you know, like if you can feel like feel that and then still keep yourself moving and keep yourself going, keep a level head, like that's the game. Yeah. You know, that's the game. So yeah, like how do you gauge? Like, is it is it still once a week that you still throw in the feel good? Or is it kind of like when you're just kind of is that still just a feel thing for you? Like, hey, I, I think we need to stop beating them up so much. It's definitely a feel thing. Yeah. Um, I never like in my mind be like all right we got to give them feel good it's just i'll watch and i can just tell like all right we've beat these guys up or sometimes we've had like sometimes you just can't get the hack attack um you can't get it work to a day sometimes where they're having a lot of success the breaking ball's nasty the fastball's got too much ride you can't get the the dials where you want them and you beat them up and i'm like all right tomorrow's definitely a feel good day like these guys had really low success rate. They got chewed up yesterday in BP. Let's let's let them feel good tomorrow. And there's value in them seeing themselves have success. Like they need to see the ball, the power hitters going over the fence in the gap, the line drive hitters hitting a lot of line drives. And at some point you got to let them have some success, right? So yeah. uh-huh. that's cool. Uh, and that's great. Like you said, and the, and uh, the, you mentioned before is like, you want them to feel them getting that swing off. You know, and so they gotta be able to do that, you know, and <clears throat> feel that. Huh. So that was fun. That was a lot of fun. So yeah, it was good. I was just wondering because yeah, like I mean it's like the Astros. I think the Astros has also ones that have made that uh pretty public, you know, how they have um, you know, people were they were they were getting sawed off during BP and people were like, What in the world are you doing? And then you know, here they are. Yeah. So that's a unique way of training for sure. But it's good. Like it's just it's just more game like. How have you taken that? Have you taken that that kind of philosophy into other phases of the game? Yes. Um not as easy to do, I think, in other phases of the game, right? Like I think pitching coaches are figuring out how to do it in a bullpen setting. Um in a practice setting with um, infielders, like we're trying to get them on the stopwatch as much as possible, you know, just to give them that internal clock, trying to make it as game-like and challenging as possible. Anytime we're making throws, 
you know, we're going to have a goal usually under four, three to get it to first base to get the out, you know, like that sort of thing um, can do it a lot with outfielders off the machine. You know, a lot of, a lot of times we'll start just shooting multiple fly balls, you know, see like there might be five fly balls and how many out of the five can they catch? And it's just, you know, you're shooting one every second out of the machine, <laughs> making it yeah. tough on them. They're turning their back on the machine. They're starting on their stomach, you know, like just, I guess when you say that, that's what I think of is constantly trying, instead of just hitting fungos to the outfielders, let's make it really hard on them. And it's enjoyable, right? Like that's the guys, they don't want somebody just stand there and fungos. They're literally coached at that. Like stick them in the hack attack, shoot them 400 feet high and shoot five of them in a row. Let me see how many I can catch. That's fun coach. And that's right. Again, now when the guy hits me the towering fly ball in a game, that's easy compared to what I had to catch at practice yesterday. Oh yeah. Yeah, and that's that's what I was wondering. Uh, it's just how else, you know, and then uh, making things live because I know like a big thing for me, like just segmenting all this stuff is, you know, how, you know, because you think you wouldn't go into a basketball practice and never see them scrimmage. Like you see them five on five a good bit, you know. It's just like, but in baseball, it's just that you know we've got a lot of it's just different, you know. And like, how do we, and how do you create more of that live scenario? Yeah, no, we've we've definitely come a long way, I think, in college baseball and baseball in general with that tray in the last five, 10 years. Right. With yeah. how, how we practice exactly to your point. I just felt like major leaguers can practice probably at 50, 75 percent speed and go out right. and perform at game speed. And I think a lot of our training in college baseball and on down through high school youth baseball mirrored what was happening in the big leagues and you know, everything was easy and everything was done at 50, 75%. And we know now, like, that's typically not the best way to practice at any level of baseball. Maybe the big leagues, I haven't been there. I don't know, but certainly not in college. Like we got to, we got to do practice different, right? I think that is such a great point. Uh, like the yeah, major leagues can can offer to do that. They're playing 180 games every day. Like their practice is going to look a little different, um, you know. And uh, they are they there are those. They're just they're also very different, you know, compared to the normal person. Um, that's for certain. But very good, very very interesting perspective there. Major leagues can practice very same. We all we were all probably doing like that, but I think. Coaching is getting better. I think, like you said, podcasts, you know, information is certainly uh, easier to get. And I think we're all just, you know, everybody's getting a little bit better. I think that's where the game has certainly grown. For sure. You know, guys like yourself and willing to share and go to the ABCA. And <laughs> it's going to be, that'll be great. That'll be great to see you there, Coach. That'd be awesome. That's your first time speaking at ABCA? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Excited, nervous, right? Like it's not, I never spoke obviously in front of that many people. So, you know, there's a lot of already anxiety for it, but I'm also excited to have the opportunity. You know, it's a great, great stage and oh, I've been yeah. going to the convention for years and, you know, you sit there and listen to people and everybody, I think in the audience is like, man, I'd love the opportunity to get up there someday as well. Right. And I'm oh, getting yeah. it. So I'm fortunate. Yeah, take advantage of that, man. You know, sure, it'll do great. Especially just, I could tell you do. You love to talk some, talk some, talk some BP, talk some hitting. That's great. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Uh, so I, so how was that? That was a good. That was a good rehearsal then for it. That was a pretty good. Wasn't too much. <laughs> I did all right. Bad. Did all right. You know, yeah. I, thought, I thought you did a great job. But um, oh man, just kind of wrapping things up now, coach. Is there? It, it, do you feel like? I guess like kind of wrapping everything up i know we've been here over an hour is like just is there something that maybe we haven't touched that you feel like you know we want to you want to shed some light on well if you can give me the next hour i'll talk about the university of delaware if there's any recruits that want to hear about <laughs> okay. it and I, that's probably probably not the case but no i appreciate you giving me this forum trey again like this is this is good for me as you said a rehearsal for the abca but also to sell Delaware and hopefully myself um, to, you know, to the audience and you never know who's listening. Maybe there's a recruit out there that's, that's listening that we're going to, we're going to want here in the near future. And this, this helped. So I appreciate you giving me this, this platform, this opportunity. I feel like 
we all have an obligation to, as you said in the beginning of the podcast, grow the sport. Um, you know, I feel like, you know, so many people have done that for us in our lives that we're still involved with baseball at our ages that we owe it to everybody else to continue to grow this great sport for, you know, our youth and other coaches anyway we can. It's done so much for me in my life and I'm happy in any way I can to spread it on to, to anybody else. You know, that's, it's an obligation that we have. Coach Mimula, just crushing it. I would just love the conversation that we were to have. Uh, fortunate to be able to get a chance to talk to him, such as a, another unique situation, talk, taking over a program, understanding the culture, just hearing the passion he talks about with running the offense, doing his on-field BP, uh, super cool stuff. Can't wait to see him at the ABCA. Hopefully see you guys there. Um, looking forward to it. I'm going to actually probably do another uh, giveaway for our uh, – our journals, our uh, Better Men, Better Ball Player journals. Uh, looking forward to that. Um, just, a, just a little brief recap of MAMS, stuff that really stuck out to me. Um, you know, just, just him taking part of the leadership, understanding, like, taking a new thing. You know, we, we hear guys talk a lot about just being lifelong learners and, and how he just took to that, learned something new, make it, make it part of his program. Here he is, brand-new program, taking a first-year first head coach, being at Division One, and being that fearless, like, look, I'm going to dive into this leadership training. We're going to do this. We're going to make it part of what we do every day. Like, that fearlessness, doing that, taking it on that, it's, it's awesome. Um, that's the kind of leadership, you know, that, and those guys are getting it, so that's awesome. Um, talk about, just love this captain's idea, just how we're all leaders, you know, leaders of our own life. You know, we got to be able to leave our households. We got to lead, lead our families. We got to leave our jobs. Um, you know, we are leaders of our own life, so we're, tr we're training everyone to be leaders. So we're not going to have just certain captains. Um, really cool, interesting there way. Uh, and then just getting into the BP, uh, charting it all and ranking hard hit percentage. I think there is the money spot there. Uh, totally on board. Love that. Um, to, and, and, and then also just making accountability within the bunting, you know, total rounds. You know, you're losing swings when you don't get the bunt down. You want six swings? Great, get your bunt down. Uh, if not, you get less and less swings. The individualization within the two-strike adjustments, you know, whether that might be on the plate, just depending on it. Again, that comes from his communication, his relationship with his hitters to knowing what they're going to do in the box. So super cool stuff. Love the Coach Mans. Appreciate you. Um, thanks for all you're doing. And thank you guys for hanging out with us here on another episode of the podcast. Love it. Can't wait till the next time. And until then, keep getting better.